Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Today on the show, I have a very, very good man. Um, he is a, he works in the MPS system. Um, he's a teacher and uh, he's a really good old friend of mine. We go way back. Uh, we've talked music for a very long time. Oh yeah. Still have to do that soon. Uh, spin wax, as we say. Um, we got Sam Lipton on the show today. Sam, welcome, hey. to, welcome to the show. It's good to be on. I've seen a handful of videos on Facebook for quite a long time now, and it's just cool to see all the updates and everything and yeah. see the direction that you're going in with this show. And I must say I'm quite honored oh, to appear you. on. It's, it was uh, really cool getting that invite, and it's really cool to be here in the Hi-Fi studio. Yes. Quite. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And thank you for... You know, uh, just setting some time aside to just sit and talk talk to me. It's easy um, when you're a teacher and you have the summer off. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I actually yeah. thought about that, about like scheduling you in. I'm like, is he gonna like have like school or something? But I didn't Not even didn't even think about the summer. No, yeah. yeah. I, I could have potentially had the opportunity to teach at summer school, but I decided not to take it because I just, you know, it's probably something I'll take next summer, but just mm -hmm. overall, when I have time off, I just absolutely cherish that. So yeah. let's see, maybe this is one of the last summers where I'm really gonna have some time off sure. before. Yeah, I mean, that makes so sense. Um, yeah, how how has your summer been? What, what have you been up to? It's been great. Um, really just preparing curriculum for the next school year. I'm going to be teaching two new courses, uh, US History and uh, world geography, or I guess you nice. could call it human geography. They always come up with nice little alternative yeah. names for right. what is essentially just geography. Yeah. Um, so two new courses that, uh, one I haven't taught since my first year teaching the other, I haven't taught at all. So it should be pretty exciting. I'm definitely engaged to be teaching this new content. Otherwise it's, it's been, it's been the usual summer, mm -hmm. a lot of free time. So a lot of time to just delve into personal projects um, and keep up with news in general, the news cycle in general, and have a lot of free time. <laughs> well, it's solid, yeah. man. I hope you're uh, getting out a little bit, making it to the street festivals. I am. Yeah. I saw you at Locust saw, Street. Yeah, we were yeah. on Locust Street Festival, that's yeah. right. No, yeah, so, no, Abby and I, we've been to Summerfest, we've been to uh, the Locust Street Festival. I think we missed the art festival, but we drove by it, mm -hmm. so there was that, and the, that yeah. looked really cool. The nice <laughs> thing is, is like if you miss one, there's another one like a week later. Yeah, and speaking of which, like, is Jazz in the Park even still going on? Yeah, yeah, that's oh, yeah. that's one that we should probably get to <laughs> yeah. before the summer is on, or the um the the Chill on the Hill in yeah, the Chill on the Hill. <laughs> yeah, I I want to go. Options. I want to go and. Go to chill because um, I like it. I prefer it to jazz in the park. Really? But, yeah. Oh, I just wow. I think it's more it's more intimate. It's not quite as crowded and cluttered. But that's fair. But that's, I also work on yeah. Tuesday nights, so I can really make it. <laughs> oh, is it only on Tuesdays? Yeah. No. Yeah. Jazz in the park and the um, the French festival that they have there as well. What is that? Do you remember what that's called? Uh, 
French it's, oh it's, uh, Bastille days yes there I know yeah. it's, like it's, it's that French word yeah I can't quite remember I was yeah. just picturing the Eiffel Tower all <laughs> yeah. the mini Eiffel Tower yeah. that they have in the Cathedral Square the total like American like uh, yeah. like appropriation of French culture <laughs> it's a nice little recreation isn't it uh, a recreation of uh, yeah the Eiffel Tower for Milwaukee it's yeah like that, I don't think yeah but um no yeah that's uh Probably should be getting to that. I I went last year with Abby and her family, so I'm interested in going again this year. But honestly, I I can say that right now, and who knows? Yeah, maybe exactly. it already happened. Right. I don't, yeah. I don't think it has yet. Oh, okay. But yeah, but yeah, there's there's a lot of real fun street festivals and just um, you know influxes of uh, different cultural. Uh, like um, high, like uh, spotlights that happen throughout the summer. That's why summer in Milwaukee is not one to miss. No, um, I agree. But it's great that uh, great that you've been um, having like kind of that that breather from yeah. being like with your job as a teacher and just having that ability to also just appreciate where you are over the summer. Um, so what we talk about a Mr. Nice Guy, we focus on love and fear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've um, I've interviewed. Various creatives of different, uh, just different um, mediums also have had a number of activists. But I also just love to talk to my friends in the show, mm-hmm. and um, I felt like you've always had a you know a very uh, just a keen perception and empathy uh, for mm-hmm. just you know your community and also just um, for just kind of the way you see the world. Um, I think that I've always kind of aligned with you on it. That's why we've just kind of been friends in that yeah. way. So no, I, I agree, and thanks for the uh, <laughs> nice compliments. Yeah, that's that's what I try to do here. I try to gas up uh, definitely my subject, but feeling um, very gassed. Good, yeah. good. <laughs> um, so uh, also want to give a shout out to Abby Troke. Um, uh, your beloved significant other, the beloved SO. Yes, <laughs> the misses, the misses. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Appreciate you a lot, Abby. Um, so, but also, like I've noticed that. Um, so, because you work um, as a teacher in the MPS system, um, I've also kind of like uh, I've been hearing a lot about just a lot, um, a lot of uh, issues that have been occurring throughout. You know the MPS, um, just the system and how, um, it's like, it's often talked about how underfunded it is, how Mm -hmm. like it's, you know, there's a lot of people that grew up in the system that feel that have, you know, seen firsthand just a lot of the, um, difficulties in bringing, um, underprivileged communities, like that level of education that gives them a lot of the same opportunities that, you know, people like you and I have grown up with. Sure. Um, so. Yeah. No, that's a that's an understatement, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, well, I I think first of all, a really good clarification to get into before we even have this conversation, because there's there's really only so much we can say based on our perspectives right, and based yeah. on where we're from, where we've grown up, and whatnot. You know, if someone's watching this podcast, they're essentially looking at two white males in their yeah. mid to early twenties. Uh, it talk about what like inequities in in the United States, and you know I I I think we can we can say that we only have so much knowledge like but not necessarily any firsthand experience. Right, yeah. You know we we may technically be religious minorities ourselves, 
but were never actually identified as such. You know, I've, I've uh, never been called out or identified before without somebody already knowing perhaps that, you know, I actually happen to be Jewish. Um, and, and so to, to point out obviously quite quickly that, you know, we're, we're, we're really two guys, and I guess your mileage may vary on this, this opinion yourself, but I guess from my perspective, you know, we're really two guys that don't, don't actually deal with any uh, inequalities that are actually occurring on particularly like the north side of Milwaukee. Especially visi Milwaukee. visible equalities. Yeah, it's visible. Like, you can't really necessarily, I know people like to say that like, Jews tend to have like sort of like a, a look mm -hmm. to them, but mm -hmm. neither you or I really have that like no. stereotypical like, Jewish appearance or anything no. like that. So it's not like you can really see our sort of our minority identity anyway, you know. But I agree for the yeah for for the sake of discussion, we are definitely we still talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, for the point being, it's like we're still you know we are two cisgender white men <laughs> that there you go don't yeah, yeah that. You know, we we haven't walked any of the shoes of communities that you know we may be speaking on, like in specifically from the lens of like the MPS system or just how, yeah. like you know, experiences that we've had. You know, we're we're still not walking those shoes that no, the yeah. actual communities are. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, all of this uh, uh, sort of uh, discretion aside, you know. At the end of the day, I'm a I'm a teacher in MPS. That's that's really all the clarification some people really need to start forming their own opinions about what I might be seeing in the school district, what my students might be going through, what uh, what the administration's like mm -hmm. in my school or other schools, um, the wages, the the union presence. Mm -hmm. Um, and going all the way up to our central offices and our state superintendents and um, now currently our state governor, I mean, there's obviously a lot to unpack. Yeah. There's, there's so much to unpack that, you know, I, again, I don't want to keep providing this discretion, but it's really important to point out that we're, we're not quite qualified enough to be unpacking this to yeah, begin with. Exactly, but, yeah. you know, to put it this way, um, recently, I was reading up on um, Tony Evers' uh, proposed state budget, and he was obviously getting a lot of flack from Republicans when it came to funding certain programs in public schools across the state of Wisconsin, because for quite a while now, you know, Republicans themselves, from my perspective, haven't really been invested in education. All you got to really do is look at who our Secretary of Education is, Betsy DeVos, and look at her history and understand that I think if Republicans had it their way in this country, education would be entirely private. private yeah. I, I think that's pretty obvious to point out. Um, so, you know, when you're working in a public school district where uh, now we finally have somebody, Tony Evers, that actually seems quite invested in the public school system, that's obviously a bit of a relief, you know, as, as a school teacher to, to see somebody like Tony Evers with his experience. Uh, with what he's been involved in in the past. Um, and now I was reading an article recently, again, to get back to the original point, I was reading an article about his proposed budget, and, you know, uh, I think that he was able to get some, you know, I, I think there were Republicans that had been vetoing a certain portion of money that he actually wanted to provide 
to um, the, the public school systems just in general, especially when dealing with uh, special education. Yeah. And he was able to fight back a little bit of it, get some of that money back into, and I think the, the, the program that, again, this is just from a quick read of it, um, and I think, God, I think I read this article like a week ago. There's sure. just so many other things. Yeah. Uh, it's for a uh, special education program, and the funding is actually, as far as I'm concerned, uh, or to my knowledge, it, it's never really been funded like this before. So it's just it's little it's little battles like that that are taking place on a state level scale, um, that reflect just how difficult it actually is to get funding in the public school system in, in a state like Wisconsin that's been under the control of people that don't necessarily want to put money into our school systems. But to to look at MPS on a, a close level, you know, according to the, the state of Wisconsin, our, our DPI, or whoever is responsible for actually analyzing um, public schools in Wisconsin, you know, MPS as a district is, is technically considered a failing district. Okay. okay. I mean, it's, it's just the reality of the, the school district of the environment that we're actually working in. Um, but, you know, that being said, you know, what's what's not considered a failing district in with the state of Wisconsin, probably a district that actually gets enough funding to have the resources, to have the staff to provide um, engaging materials and to provide just basic things for their students that they actually need to prosper. You know, a lot of it's really about it's not necessarily about getting the equal amount of money. It's about equity. Yeah, it's about providing. Uh, for students that obviously don't have the same backgrounds, the uh, same financial stability, the same whatever as students at a school like Whitefish Bay or Nicolet yeah. or even Shorewood High School. Yeah, right down the street. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I think key point you definitely mentioned is equity because mm -hmm. not everyone, because I, th I think a common misconception and really any kind of just in any when we talk about oppression and um, addressing it properly like equality sort of is is the word that gets thrown around most and that usually pertains to everyone has the same thing mm -hmm. but equity um, is important to sort of um, to really I think focus more on because not everyone will have not everyone can receive the same things and also succeed in the same ways. Like yeah. Equity is about providing what that particular community or demographic needs, yeah. as opposed to everyone has the same thing. Um, because different communities will need more reparations. Um, they yeah. will need more um, more resources, depending on you know where they're geographically located, or you know where the um, you know what kinds of businesses or uh, so, yeah, the way that they function, the resources that they have, whether it be businesses, whether it be educational systems, as simple as like having a grocery store. Well, then that's what I was actually. Your I was thinking about that, like food deserts, sure. for example. That's a that's an issue not a lot of people talk about, but uh, where there's literally like an absence in, of grocery stores in particular mile radiuses in different mm -hmm. districts where like uh, residents of those communities don't have like a, a reliable 
place that's nearby where they can, you know, get food and, and to basically live a sustainable lifestyle without traveling right. much farther away to do that. While mm -hmm. here on the east side, you know, where we are right now in River West, like, there's at least four or five grocery stores yeah. within a two-mile radius. Yeah, and they're like, um, there are like smaller organic food pantries. There are like, um, some of the some of the spots you guys even have in River West, just the, the local places um, that operate seem like they're doing quite well. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's just little things like that. But you know, then you start to unpackage, well, you know, where did these places come from? Where did this new population of people come from into River West? And now you're suddenly opening another you're opening another package, and that package is the obvious gentrification yes. of the yeah. the area right around us. Literally, uh, anything located around this studio, um, and and so there's there's obviously there's a lot to unpackage when it comes to, to these topics. And I guess to bring up another article that I've read recently, it was on the Atlantic. It was about a um, a philanthropist, a donor, who had been, he's been putting money into public schools for quite some time, probably since about the 1980s. Oh, wow. And what he said that uh, in the article, he was basically stating that after looking at the data, and you know, data, that's another like, what is what does data even mean sometimes? Yeah. But I guess just looking at the looking at the statistics, looking at where his money was going, looking at seeing if there was legitimate improvement in the schools that he actually was putting money into, into the school systems he's been giving money to for the last like 30, 40 years. He came to this conclusion that, you know, we talk so much about funding schools, like over and over and over again. We're always talking about putting money into the public school mm -hmm. system. But what about everything outside of the public school system? What about like, no matter how much money is in that school, if the students or the students, the hypothetical student in, in this situation doesn't have a safe place to go at night, doesn't have a place to get food or just basic resources, then there's only so much that the school can actually yeah. do for them. The school might be able to provide them two meals a day, breakfast and lunch, but who's to say how good that food is? Right. Um, the school might be able to provide a safe place to stay for eight hours a day, but is that even enough? Like, what about the other, uh, you know, 16, there we go, 24 yeah. minus eight. 16 hours that they're going to be outside of that public school. Yeah. If we're going to look at the public school system of MPS, and we're going to look at these schools that are considered failing, by the Department of Instruction or whatever organization in Wisconsin, governmental organization actually qualifies certain school districts or schools as failing, um, then we need to look at the areas surrounding those schools as well. And obviously, I, you know, I'm not saying that that's the responsibility of the educational system. Certainly building equity in communities can be something that falls onto the educational system through programs yeah. um, and opportunities that they give students to actually branch out into the community and not necessarily just give back but as simple as cleaning up a local park you yeah. know just basic things like that um and so you know you have to look at our government and you have to 
well, you have to take a look at our state level government at the very least and look at not necessarily just what are they doing for the public school system, but what are they doing for these neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. what, are, what are they doing for underprivileged, uh, income deficient neighborhoods where they simply do not actually have the resources that they need to survive on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. And again, it's, it's like the more, the more terms, the more ideas, the more ideologies that you keep talking about, the more that you have to unpack yeah. until you're just, you know, talking yourself it's, in circles. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a simple, um, it, it's not a simple, like, anecdotal point. No, there's, yeah. There's a lot, there, there is, it's all intertwined. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think when we talk about, like, you, you kind of touched on this earlier, um, when we talk specifically about Milwaukee, I think of one of the biggest problems with that, um, the, the underfunded, resources and neighborhoods and schools like a lot of that we we look about the gentrification that's going on the funding that's happening where we're building these um these uh you know high-end mm. upscale apartments that yeah. are you know whether they're along the river or now there's more popping up on the east side we're looking like that at one on uh, oakland and locust yeah that one don't get me started on that fucking thing <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's always that's so like, weird. That's always the one that comes to mind. <laughs> it um, just looks so odd. I know. Of place. It's so boxy and it's, like. It's gonna be nice. I mean, it's gonna be. I'm sure it'll be a lovely building with lovely apartment buildings. But who on the but, east side, like, which is catered mostly to, you know, low income college students, who on the east side can afford that? Yeah. And it's gonna make it's gonna make other landlords and businesses want to, yeah, raise their rent or raise yeah. their prices and everything. Yeah. So, and then we look at things like the hop, you know, the, the oh, streetcar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we look at, um, you know, various other things that occur. Um, you know, I know, like, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're like, we're looking at all these things that people with money, the, these things that are lush, you know, lavish and otherwise, just, um, um, you know, uh, glamorous touristy things that yeah. are meant to uh, pull people into our city that are meant to um, bring in that influx of tourism those things that make our city look good from afar mm -hmm. all of our money is being like a lot of like, a lot of our money is being allocated towards those kinds of things but those are really things that you know many other parts of the inner city can't access or they don't sure. or they don't necessarily like you know they can't afford it or they just can't get to that side of the city because yeah. you know they're like you know the there's the bus routes and the bus routes cost money and everything like that um exactly so yeah no it's it's just obvious setbacks where it, you, you have to take a look at the 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 entire city of milwaukee and where it's actually putting money into what what resources is the city actually putting money into you know a lot of people would look at the streetcar and see it automatically as just like a total waste. Um, I remember uh, when initially looking at the maps, there was another teacher at Riverside that brought up the fact that, you know, why, why aren't there lines that are stretching out onto the north side? Yeah. Why aren't there lines that are actually connecting um, other areas of Milwaukee to downtown rather than just one part of downtown, the east side, the, uh, the lower east side? to what near the near the Bucks Stadium or near the third ward, the third which ward, is yeah. one of the ritziest districts in Milwaukee itself. 
And so, yeah, from a, from a tourism perspective, sure, you visit Milwaukee, you're probably going to think, okay, I can get on the hop and I can go pretty much across downtown and hit up all the spots that would be cool to actually check out as a, as a tourist. Cool. Um, I'm sure that drives in some income for our economy, for the city's economy. So that's, that's fine. But then you think about, all right, well, we're not just talking about the tourists here. We need to talk about the people in this city as well. And so, you know, initially there, there could have been a line, I believe, that was going all the way from Bronzeville uh, to um, downtown. And that would have been fantastic. Yeah. You would have given people a connection to downtown, uh, a, a clear and easy way to get to downtown um, that isn't a city bus, right. um, but was never actually either approved or if it has been approved, then I think it's going to take a long, long time for it to actually get yeah. built. Um, it's like the, the, the streetcars, it's like they almost work better in theory for a tourism standpoint. Right. Do exactly. they actually help the people of the city? Yeah. I'm sure there are. Like, like again, it, I'm sure there are people that hop on the the hop, the hop and on, yeah. <laughs> hop on the hop and go to their job downtown, or they go on a, a makeshift bar crawl to like yeah. all of the glamorous pubs and everything like yeah. that. And, and and again, like that's all fine, you know, whatever. It's it's bringing some economic activity to downtown Milwaukee for those people, but. We can't just talk about those people. We can't just talk about the the middle class and above um, that are living in those areas that can legitimately afford to live down there. We need to talk about everybody in Milwaukee and what's actually being supplied to those people mm -hmm. as well. And it's it, it doesn't really seem apparent sometimes yeah. whether that's actually occurring. But again, it depends, I guess. From, from, again, just the standpoint of two guys talking about these issues, it, it depends on what we have our ear to the grounds yeah. on. You know, I, the, the stuff that I'm interested in and the stuff that you're interested in and what we're learning and the perspectives that we're forming on those ideas, they're not going to fit into all the stuff that's actually occurring in Milwaukee. You know, I'm sure there are, there are plenty of positive things that we could bring up um, on the south side, on the west side, on the north side and on the east side, on all on all areas of Milwaukee, but based on what we know, you know, I guess this is just this is our angle. This is our what we have to talk about. Yeah. So be it. And that being said, you know we you know nothing nothing no no radical reform uh, of the way various state funds are being allocated. That doesn't happen overnight. No. Uh, yeah. Of so we have to start small, and we have to we have to look at little changes or little um just little steps that may be made in order to like make it a gradual thing because you know that's that's how change happens it's gradual it's not immediate so um so i guess like uh what are like so from your experience like as a teacher in mps um uh which school do you teach at right now by the way riverside university high school okay sure yeah. um so uh and that's right up here on the east side so across the bridge yeah, yeah. exactly so um you know in terms of things like uh 
school lunches, textbooks, computer slash technology, sure. um, athletic programs, uh, otherwise um, extracurricular activities. Like, what are some things that um, you know you feel like uh, Riverside um, is uh, succeeding in um, that we have that you you feel like is um, allowing those students to you know be able to you know have a, a positive educational experience sure. like, with in your own facility I'd say I'd say to begin with what I've always loved about Riverside is that we have a very diverse set of clubs and athletics that students will always find ways to get involved in um, I, I actually think that it, it always seems like there are more and more kids that want to start up some sort of club and just need that one faculty member to push them along in the right direction mm. or to say, yeah, you can use my room these days after school to actually meet and chat about yeah. what you guys actually want to do. There are plenty of little clubs and there are plenty of larger clubs that have a lot of, of that gain in, in Riverside and that's always been really fantastic. I, you know, back when I was in high school, I used to be so eager to just get out of Madison West and go home and have my like uh, just recuperating time from yeah. school. But now that I'm obviously on the other end of the uh, situation, you know, sitting sitting in that building as a teacher and seeing all of the opportunities that students actually have um, regarding like school organizations. Uh, clubs, internship opportunities, athletics programs, so on and so forth. It, I think there's this general idea pushed in Riverside that there's something for everybody. And I do get that feeling working at Riverside and I've always mm -hmm. appreciated having that. You know, we're also a, um, a school that provides free breakfasts and lunches to students that actually qualify for them or actually want to eat them because yeah. they're the students will tell you firsthand it's not always yeah. like the the food that they actually wanted yeah. to eat right. but regardless the food's still being provided mm -hmm. um and yeah i think it's you know when you say free it's like you put an asterisk by it because obviously like it's not entirely free yeah. it does come out of um it, it comes out of somewhere you know, yeah, but the right. fact that it is being provided by our school is obviously still ideal. I mean, that's when we're talking about like basics, it, a school should basically providing be providing automatically what I just said. Yeah. You know, yeah. clubs, activities, events, organizations, athletics, uh, just basic resources for students to be teenagers as so from a, a teach I, I know I hear a lot of things about how like teachers are often neglected when it comes to wages and you know a, a sustainable income um, and do you think that because um, I remember watching like a the new mock the new Michael Moore documentary um, what was that it was uh, Fahrenheit 11 9 which was oh. basically, <laughs> it was about how our current system the, uh, I, I think I actually remember, I must, have, um, I must have seen something about that, but I never actually looked into it. All I remember is I was introduced to Michael Moore when I was in high school. Uh, sophomore year, I was taking a film studies class, and our 
teacher showed us bowling for Colin. Yeah, yeah. That's like one that of the big like, ones. It's definitely like if you want liberal the liberal agenda on um <laughs> on, on guns from a Michael Moore standpoint. You got it. That's yeah. that's all that's wow. That was same with Sicko with the health. Yeah, system. Sicko. Yeah. And you know it not to get on the Michael Moore train anymore, but like a lot of people would probably accuse him of being um Delib and I, deliberate in some ways or by deliberate you mean like he I mean, he he kind of like um, it, his. I mean, his uh, slant is blatantly obvious. Yeah, yeah. No, I. There we go. Uh, biased. I guess biased, is an yeah. easy way to put it. Yeah, Michael Moore is absolutely biased. Yeah. Um. And so, if you are looking for a documentary that views all the angles, certainly not the first place to uh, start to start. But if you want the hard liberal agenda. Check out on my well, yeah. documentary. Exactly. So that being said, do you um, like, do you feel like in general, like teachers, like in public schools, get you know neglected in terms of living wages? Like as on even like from a federal point of view. Um. Yeah. Probably. I mean, it's when you look at the again when you look at the the data, when you look at the statistics, when you look at what teachers actually have to say. You look at all the the just the the myriad of news articles, the the reports, just all of it. And you take a look at it, and it's so so obvious that teachers are being underpaid in a lot of regards. It's so obvious. Um, it's like you know you might as well move on to the next talking point, right? Because the answer is yeah. Um, but to to. Be a little more clear, there was an article in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that was published about a month ago, I believe, and it basically talked about the fact that, you know, MPS as a school district is, is facing like this massive exodus of teachers, where teachers are essentially, they're leaving for greener pastures, right? Um, and, you know, as somebody who's on the inside looking out, of MPS, yeah, wages are definitely an obvious reason why a lot of teachers feel the need to actually leave. You know, you, you take a look um, at the reasons a lot of teachers are staying, it, none of them are ever going to say the, the wages. None of them are ever going to say the pay. Um, it's because they love the job. It's because they actually really do feel like what they're doing is right. Yeah. Is something they can actually be happy with themselves about, psychologically speaking. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when when I look into it overall, it, I think if you asked any teacher, like, do you feel that you're getting paid enough for what you're actually doing? I'd probably say no. So yeah, you know, I could rail all day about um, the politicians in the state senate, the state congress, uh, state assembly, um, that are uh, keeping certain public funding from getting into our schools, but at the same time, we also have people in our state government that are fighting for yeah. my rights right. and the rights of our fellow staff at public schools. And when you say that, like, teachers are doing, they, they 
they do their, they pursue their careers and they do what they do, you know, because it aligns with themselves morally and just how they feel about themselves and their roles in the community. Like, I imagine like you identify with that a lot. You know, you just, you just love being a teacher. You love doing what you do. Yeah. It's, it's about actually, I, I mean, when it comes to actually being a teacher, you've got to be invested in, I, I think this goes for any job. You've got to be invested in some way, shape, or form at, at the idea of like your job that you're waking up to every single day and actually uh, just just doing yeah. doing doing the job, being a teacher on a regular basis. Like you know, you you can bring up the negatives about it, but at the end of the day, being a teacher, there's enough in the role as a teacher and especially like you know I, I i look at my colleagues i look at what they're able to actually accomplish in the school i look at what you know the administration and and my fellow staff um at riverside university high school some of the stuff they're able to actually accomplish is like astounding is stuff that i could never dream of even accomplishing myself like what what they're able to bring into the school their programs they're actually able to bring in for the students yeah is incredible like it's wild man yeah. like so just even being able to see that is like motivation enough to stick around and and you got to believe that you know you're not in a sinking ship yeah. a lot of people would say public education it, you know it's the exodus people are jumping ship people are, are getting out of public education mm -hmm. but the reality of it is that's not actually a majority of the crew. Yeah. The the majority are staying. Everything. So that being said, what makes you grateful to be an MPS teacher? What makes me grateful? Honestly, I would say when it comes to being an MPS teacher, it's it's kind of a like where do I even start? Yeah, sort of thing. Like, where, Which is where a good even, thing. That's a yeah. good thing. I mean, where do I even start with MPS? It like as a school district, this is this is my first real job. You know, this is my first. I guess you could call it like my first real opportunity to actually make some sort of impact on future generations of students. But to sort of like rein in the potential sappiness, it's. I suppose the first opportunity to actually work a stable job. I mean, MPS has given me the opportunity to actually get paid to do something I have now the ability to do, I guess, to, to use my resources that I have my hands to the fullest to actually provide some sort of education, to provide some sort of success for a student that needs that extra push, you know, that needs that, that needs that help, that needs that encouragement. Um, honestly, like it's the, it's, it's the bonds that a teacher and students actually have. That's probably what's keeping me in that building. When I think about what am I actually going to work for every single day? Yeah, it's it's about actually making a positive impact every single day, mm -hmm. and obviously that's not that's not something that's possible every mm -hmm. day. You know? and, and a student will look forward to school rather than dread it if they share that bond with their teacher or yeah. 
you know, like as, and as the case with any job or like any individual entering a workplace, if they generally, if they genuinely bond with their, with their peers, with, you know, their superiors, it won't feel as much like a chore. It feels sure. like a, you know, something that, you know, you are like, just you value because you have yeah. the opportunity. And again, it's a lot of it really is about getting students to actually value why they're in that building in the first place. Yeah. But, um, you know, talk is talk is one thing. Action is entirely different. I know I've had plenty of bad days at MPS. And usually when I have a bad day in MPS, it's not anybody else's fault but mine. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much of being a teacher again when you look at the like from from a psychological perspective being a teacher you don't really have that potential for like water cooler talk or anything you know you don't really have that potential to be surrounded by anybody but people that aren't your uh professional colleagues mm -hmm. during the day yeah you know when i'm when i'm teaching at riverside I don't really see anybody my age yeah. for a majority of the day. I'm not surrounded by, well, I'm I technically, I'm surrounded by my colleagues in that building, but I'm in my classroom. It's, it's, it's me, students. Yeah. And that's, that's it. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it. And so really it, when it comes down to it, I think that to, to have that opportunity where you're essentially in this this role where you've got to not necessarily manage but encourage a classroom you've got to make the most of it you've got to like legitimately give something back to to show legitimate progress in your classroom setting yeah mm. oh, that's beautiful yeah. man I, I, oh shucks <laughs> oh shucks man. no that's that's marvelous though um and that's not something that, you know, many other professions that are being, um, that people like mine your age, I know you're like three years older than me, but like my Don't point, yeah. Well, yeah, but point being, it's not, it's not a profession people in their early to mid twenties generally, like, unless they're working in like a daycare or they're sure. working in like their, but education, I should say, is a job that you don't typically work with people your age with. Um, you work with people much, much younger P and yeah. you're, you're basically shaping their, their life experiences and their perceptions of the world, or at least you're contributing to that perception. Yeah, and that's, that's an important job. Yeah. And you know, it's, I think what's really, really important when it comes down to actually being a teacher is that you never want to get that holier than thou attitude. Yeah. You, you never want to act like you're the reason yeah. that, that their life is going smooth. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, It's like a parent that tries to take credit for everything their kid does. Yeah, so. above anything else, teaching is not some sort of godsend profession. It is, it is essential, much like many other professions are essential, for any country to be stable, okay? And so it's really important to never grandstand, I think, when it comes to teaching, to, to understand that you are essentially performing 
a duty that a teenager or a child needs to grow further in life, that's kind of that, you know? You may be responsible for a whole lot of other things that usually don't even get the recognition. I've, there are plenty of teachers at any school across the world that have done things that they've never gotten recognition for, yeah. done really positive things that have really helped students, and they'll never get recognition for that. But that's expected, okay? Plenty of people at plenty of jobs in the world are doing things on a daily basis that they feel like they will never really get properly rewarded mm -hmm. for. Yeah. And so obviously, like, I think, I think as a teacher, and this is kind of honestly, I'm, I'm getting some of what I'm saying right now from what a, another teacher in the building has actually said to me in the past. And it, it, it's basically like, you know, don't, don't treat us like we're special. Don't, why, like, I, I am simply, when you look at the grand scheme of things, I'm a cog in a machine, okay? I'm just trying to make the machine function. Yeah. I may do a lot of special things. My colleagues do even more incredible things than I do, okay? But at the end of the day, I'm just trying to make things go a little more smoothly. I guess if you could put I it that it, way. Man. That's great, though. That is, yeah. it's a very humble and very, um, also just very like um, socially aware thing to say um, when you are a part of a much bigger machine. Um, sure. But I think you hit the nail on the head. So why do you uh, yeah, try. why do you love to love about teaching history and geography? I, I guess mainly it's being able to actually talk about like social and political issues and other cultures with yeah. students. Being like you know when it comes down to. The way I've been developing my U.S. history curriculum so far over the course of the summer is I've essentially been taking a look at what I taught initially during my first year of U.S. history, the first year that I taught it, and I've been trying to build upon that, see, okay, what's missing? What am I not talking about? What did I talk about but maybe need to address something else? I, I, when I think about history, I care a lot less about the people and much more about the ideas, okay? Yeah. Like, it, when, it, when it comes down to U.S. history, especially U.S. history in the United... Well, yeah, yeah. When it comes down to history in the United States, when it comes down to taking a look at, at the history of this country, I think that it's really important to make things clear that I'm not trying to talk about a group of white men that colonized this country and molded and mended it into exactly what they wanted to look it to look like. I don't I don't want to talk about those white men, but I do want to talk about what they did. Okay? Mm -hmm. I want to talk about what the impact was of what these people did when they came over to North and South America and began to develop it into the countries that they wanted to see, the people that they wanted to see. Um, like, screw the people that did that. Yeah, they should probably be known so you can know like their names when you're trying to bring up certain points in, in research or a conversation or just in your general knowledge of this country. But it's what they did that matters so much more, okay? Because you're looking at how this country was shaped and how, you know, we're here today. 
it, it obviously all starts with people traveling over from foreign countries coming into North and South America and basically shaping it and modeling it after the societies that they grew up in, all right? And so, yeah, it'd be great to know who those people were and certain events that actually occurred, but it's, it's the philosophy of history that I care so much more about. It's, it's again, how did these events impact our, our nation, our history in general? All right, Sam. Um, hmm. I think we had a wonderful discussion about the value of education, sure. about our community and its own educational system, and just you know our roles within it. Um, that was yeah. that was phenomenal. Um, it's a great conversation. Was always though. Uh, always. Nice. We didn't even get to talk about music. I know we didn't. We didn't really get to talk about much, did we? We didn't get to talk about the shirts. No, the the <laughs> Caucasian <laughs> shirt. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get yeah, a, I think it speaks for itself, yeah. honestly. Yeah, but I, yeah. I think that it's a, it's a great uh, social commentary. I love it. Sure. I think social satire, yeah, social yeah. commentary. Yeah, whatever. It's necessary. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, Sam, tell me what keeps you up at night. Um, so, every night I wake up around 3 to 4 a.m. because that's when my cat wants to be fed breakfast. Oh. And uh, sadly, my body has been trained to want to stay awake after my cat wakes me up. So I essentially have to try and force myself back to sleep. And that usually takes some time. So that, that keeps me up almost every single morning around 3 or 4 a.m. Waffle. Yeah. Oh, waffle. It's all Waffle's fault. My sleep <laughs> schedule is like this right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, shit, man. I keep my door closed so that my cats can't enter. That's also a good idea. Yeah, yeah, but I, I cats have been known to, uh, you know, um, to put their own wants and needs above those of their their owners. They certainly have. They yeah. certainly have. Now, what puts you to sleep, though? What puts me to sleep is probably just feeling super exhausted yeah. at the end of each day, even though I'm not really even doing much. It's really nice to feel tired and like you actually accomplished something at the end of a really long day. Right on, man. Thank you right for being on. on the show. Thank you. This is marvelous. Um, so, um, yes. yeah, I guess uh, thank you for um, thank you for just bringing light on firsthand on just like we said, like you know, there there are privileges that come with our identities, but. Yeah for bringing your own experience as a teacher into the MPS system and just what it means to be a teacher in general. Mm -hmm. I think this is, you know, a lot of great things to think about in terms of like where our state funds are going to, yeah. what they just, what is crucial in order for a community to function, not only as in through the education lens, but just as a community in general. I got to agree with you. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Good. I did a good job. Uh, yeah, uh, concluding that. <laughs> you did a really solid job. Thank there. you, Sam. Well said. Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time.